In order to become the leadership team that your organization will need at this stage, you're going to have to reinvent yourself. And that the leadership that has gotten you to having a team of 300 people will not be the leadership that gets you to having a team of 1,000 people. And so in many ways, we have to think of reinventing ourselves. And really, the only difference between reinvention and disruption is your attitude. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Shedd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Now, you're entering into part two of a two-part series that was created for a very particular audience, and that's for teams of 300 or more people. Now, with all of the content that we create on this podcast and release on this podcast, Uh, You can take the principles and practices in this episode and apply them to any business, organization, enterprise of any stage or size. However, the way that I created this content was by thinking about the organizations with 300 or more people that I've worked with, worked for, and observed and learned from uh, over the course of my career. And what I've noticed is that at that size and at that stage of business, so often the leaders of the organization, but also the team members of the organization face similar or struggles, challenges, opportunities, and there's really clear pathways for the teams of that size that thrive and those that end up capsizing and either decreasing in productivity or losing a little bit of the soul and the humanity of what made the business so powerful to begin with. And this is really all related to a pretty fascinating rule that was created by a Japanese CEO, Hiroshi Mikitani, that we really laid out in depth in the first episode in this series, but it's the rule of three and 10. And that's just the idea that anytime the size of your team hits a multiple of three or 10, everything breaks and has to be redone. (laughs) And it, it could be a disappointing rule unless we choose to engage with it voluntarily. And so this is just the idea that at one team member, it's different than three team members, different than 10 team members, different than 30, different than 100, different than 300, and then ultimately up to a, a thousand. And one of the things that Mikitani observed was that anytime he hit one of these multiples, it was typically around that number that they had to rethink the systems, the infrastructure, the way the business did things to meet the next stage of business and meet what was going to be required to continue creating and serving value in an excellent way. And what's been so cool is in the publishing of that rule, so many CEOs of large companies, small companies, mid-sized companies, all stages of business, a wide variety of industries have said, man, that, that Mikitani observation is actually correct and and he's actually right and there's some validity to that. And so it would probably be wise if you are a CEO of a 300-person company to understand that the way you did things will not be the way that you continue to do things if you're going to succeed. And certainly for all of us as leaders who want to thrive and be proactive instead of reactive and be on offense instead of defense, it would be wise for us to understand that at these milestones, certain things are going to change. And so it's It's within that context that we're really highlighting four things that the person who leads a business of 300 or more people would be wise to focus on so that they can proactively engage with the struggle of renewing the vitality of their organization instead of having their organization capsize because they weren't able to keep up with the change process that was required of them.
And so the four elements that we're focusing on are communication rhythms, and that was covered in the first part of this series, and leadership development was covered in the first part of this series. And so within communication, we said that increase in formality within seven areas was going to be absolutely important, and those areas were one-on-one relational communication, one-on-one accountability, team unity communication, departmental work group communication, strategic planning, strategic accountability, and development. And remember that what we said is you don't need necessarily meeting for all of those different outcomes. You just need to make sure there are methods for systemically ensuring that all of those outcomes are achieved and and that the teams that succeed and thrive and create a culture that is really life-giving for the organization as a whole and continues to serve people exceptionally well are the ones that make sure that they have a cadence for achieving all of those communication outcomes, especially at the size of 300 people. And, And then the second one that we focused on was leadership development. And we said that oftentimes you start with a leader that leads followers. And of course, that's not ideal, but a lot of times that is how you start. And then eventually you move to a leader that leads leaders and that's really good. But a lot of times, one of the things that you'll start to experience the pressure of and the stress of at 300 people is that you have a leader that leads leaders, but those leaders lead followers. And whenever you get to this 300 person point, one of the things that I've observed is what you really need in order to continue to scale and grow the organization and make sure that it continues to move forward and like we've said, grow in a manner that's healthy is you need a leader that leads leaders that lead leaders. And so that requires a different intentionality and focus on leadership development within the organization so that you're not just bringing in leaders from outside who are bringing outside perspective, but you're raising up leaders within who can properly understand how to define a vision, create a plan of action, and then coalesce buy-in from the team of people that's all existing around them to actually move the organization forward. And so the leaders that succeed at this 300 person mark think really critically about how do we lead leaders that then are also equipped to lead leaders because that's a different skill set. And it's within that context that today we're going to focus on two other elements that are directly related to everything we've already talked about, but unique and distinct and worth paying attention to in their own right. And so the first one that we're going to focus on is executive reinvention. And then the second one that we're going to focus on is a culture of decentralized improvement. And so the first one that we're going to focus on today is executive reinvention. Now, I could have just as easily uh, called this executive disruption, but that would be a little less appealing to listen to, wouldn't it? But here's what you have to understand is that in order to become the leadership team that your organization will need at this stage, you're going to have to reinvent yourself. And that the leadership that has gotten you to having a team of 300 people will not be the leadership that gets you to having a team of a thousand people. And and so in many ways, we have to think of reinventing ourselves. And really the only difference between reinvention and disruption is your attitude. (laughs) I'm gonna say it again. The only difference between reinvention and disruption is your attitude. And I want you to hear this if you're the owner of a business of 300 people. But what I really want is I want your entire executive team to hear this. So whether they hear it coming from my voice or whether they hear it coming from your voice, they need to hear this. You will be disrupted, period. Disruption is going to happen. The question is, will it be created by you or will it be created by the circumstances around you? 
And the greatest executives of large, fast-growing companies that I know have a unique and honed ability to disrupt themselves instead of being disrupted by the circumstances that are around them. And so everyone on your leadership team just has to reckon with the fact that the executives that built the team that currently exists won't be the executives that continue to build the team. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to change the people. You might have to change the people, but I hope that doesn't have to happen. And I hope we all hope that doesn't have to happen. It just means that you're going to have to become a person. It just means that you're going to have to become a different person. Now, I'm not talking about changing your values or changing your personality dispositions. I'm just saying you're going to have to level up. One of the things that I think about a lot and that our team actually talks about a lot is you get into these seasons of transition where don't you just realize you have this kind of awareness that, man, if I'm going to make it in this upcoming season, I'm going to have to level up my leadership. And when you reach this 300-person mark, I just hope that everyone on your executive team recognizes, okay, this is one of those moments where to get to where we want to go, we're going to have to level up our leadership. And as we talked about in the first episode, if you have that realization and opt in for it voluntarily, it goes so much better for you than if you are dragged into the recognition that you have to reinvent yourself. And people that are dragged into reinvention really, really struggle. I would way rather you say, man, there are things that I'm currently lacking that I don't know, that I don't understand, that I don't have in my tool belt, that I'm going to need in my tool belt if I'm going to be the leader that takes this organization into the next iteration of what it is called to be. And I'm not telling you to be operating from a posture of inadequacy. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about operating from a posture of humble confidence. And we're going to talk about more of that in just a second, but it's just saying that, hey, what got us here won't get us there. You know, um, there's a great scene in The Lord of the Rings that's kind of become a meme that's really, really popular. And I don't know if you've seen The Lord of the Rings, but it's it's in the first movie, I think. It's in The Fellowship of the Ring that you have Frodo and you have Sam, and they've been tasked with leaving the Shire and leaving the place that feels safe and stable, that's certain, that they understand, that they know. And they're journeying to this place that's really dark and terrifying, and they're going in courageously into the unknown. And it's going to take everything that's within them to go out and venture into the uncertain future, but it's what it is required of them and ultimately what they are responsible for. And so it's in that context that they're leaving the safety of the Shire that Sam, one of the main characters of this movie, just pauses. And I can't remember if this is in the book or not, but he just pauses. And Frodo looks back at him and says, what are you doing? They're walking through this cornfield. And he said, this next step will be the furthest that I've ever been from home. <laughs> and it's just this powerful moment and, and they kind of connect on the fact that this is the furthest they've ever been and they're venturing into new territory where there's all these memes uh, going around around the Lord of the Rings movies that are kind of hilarious that every step they take from then on over the course of the three movies, Sam says, this next step will be the furthest that I've ever been from home. <laughs> and I just love that because that so connects to the human experience, right? Recognize that today is the furthest you've ever been within your business. 
but you know what's going to be a little bit further tomorrow. And, and you know what's going to be a little bit further than that? The day after that. And so every step you take is a little bit further into the unknown of something that you haven't done before. And so does that mean you should stop going? No, that means you just say like, we're kind of making this up as we go. And here's the deal. I've worked with people that have a thousand team members, 1500 team members. I've sat down with CEOs of 20,000 team member organizations, right? And one thing that I've learned from all of those is that everyone is making it up as they go. So take a deep breath and know that that's okay. And know that there's a principle within this is that the person that's unwilling to look like a fool will never be able to become a master. And so in some ways, you just got to be willing to say like, I'm a little bit of a fool whenever it comes to running a 300 person organization or a 400 person organization or a thousand person organization. Why? Because I've never done it before. And I got us here, but what got us here isn't going to get us there. And so I'd rather just operate with a posture of humble curiosity of what are we going to need to do differently in order to get us to where we want to go. And, and so it's looking through that lens that I'd love for us just to look at what leadership teams of organizations with more than 300 people are going to need to have in order to proactively pursue reinvention. And, and so there's four things that I list. Now, of course, there's probably a lot of things that you should focus on, but these are four things that the leaders that I've seen most optimally reinvent themselves, they they have these four things in their lives. And and so I just want to walk through them real quick. Uh, The first one is a little bit interesting. It's stability. Um, This connects to ideas from kind of a wide variety of fields, uh, but let's look at two. Jordan Peterson says that there's this duality of order and chaos, right? And order is consistency, systems, process, stability, and chaos is uncertainty, spontaneity, adventure. And you don't want to have total order. You don't want to have total chaos. You want to be the force that mediates between the two. And then Tony Robbins kind of builds upon that same concept. And he said that as a human being, there's two fundamental needs. There's a need for certainty and there's a need for variety. And so there's a degree of certainty that we all need in our lives. There's a degree of things that can be counted on, that can be relied upon, that we know to be true, that we can put our feet on. And within that context of certainty, we then have the ability to go get variety. And we also need variety. We need things that are different. We need things that keep us moving forward. We need things that will continue to grow us. And it's kind of using those two overarching frameworks that I kind of thought about, okay, the leaders that I know that really thrive within reinvention have certain elements elements of stability within their life to be able to weather the arenas that are unstable. And so whenever you hit one of these milestones that Hiroshi Mikitani is referring to, where you're at 3, 10, 30, 100, 300, right? And everything starts to break. Well, what happens? Your your business becomes incredibly uncertain and, and it becomes a little bit chaotic and it becomes a little bit disordered and it becomes a little bit wild, wild west. And as we said in the first episode, that's not good or bad. That just is. And that's just part of building a growing organization. And so you don't need to feel too bad about that. Here's the leaders that can deal with that. The ones that have stability in the other areas of their life. Now, if you simultaneously have instability, uncertainty, chaos within the business and instability, uncertainty, and chaos at home, I don't feel too good about your ability to weather what's ahead within your organization. 
And so to the degree that you have instability in your organization, it would be really good for you to create an environment of stability and order and consistency and reliability and dependability at home. Because that is the order from which you can wade courageously into chaos. And so what would it look like for you to have a level of stability within your finances, within your relationships, within your schedule, within how you use your time, within your morning routine, so that you can engage with a business that is wild, wild west where everything's breaking and you have to go in and reinvent it all. So the people who are most able to proactively pursue reinvention are the ones that have a level of stability in their life that they can count on. And so that's why the first thing that leaders of 300-person teams that are able to proactively pursue reinvention have is stability. Now let's focus on the next one, and, and we kind of already hit on this a little bit, but it's humility. And this is really for the executive team as a whole that's leading this 300-person team into this reinvention and renewal period. What is humility? It's to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. And so what's accurate? Well, accurate is you've never done this before. It's Samwise Gamgee in the Shire, right? This is the furthest you've ever been. Now, that shouldn't crush you. That should just be reality. And so humility and confidence really look very much the same because what is confidence not? Confidence is not delusional security of I've got this all figured out. Does that actually look confident to you? Or does confident look like, hey, like, I, I, I've never done this before, but I've done other things before and I've been able to figure those things out. And so therefore, let's ask a lot of questions. Let's be very curious. Let's honestly assess the landscape of what's going on. And let's anticipate that we're going to have to learn some things that we haven't had to learn before in order to become the leader that this team is going to need. Now, it's the person that thinks that they're already grown that is going to have no reason to grow. Right When someone says, I'm already grown in this area, they're never going to grow, right? It's not that you've got it figured out. It's that you're figuring it out. It's not that you've got it. It's that you're getting it. And so we have to have that posture that there's always more to learn. There's always more to step into. There's always more that can be absorbed. And if we operate of that accurate viewpoint of ourself, humility, well, then we have the opportunity to receive new information that can make us into the leader that the organization needs for this stage. So we got to have a requisite level of stability. We also have to have humility. And then the next piece is we've got to have courage. Stepping into something new that you haven't done before can be a little bit scary. And if the lives and livelihood of 300 people are on the line, it can be honestly downright terrifying is what I've observed, right? When you realize that the ramifications of my decisions can have benefits and consequences that not only affect 300 people, but that affect their families and therefore have ramifications throughout our community. Like if that's not terrifying you a little bit, you're probably not thinking about it closely enough. And, and so what happens whenever you encounter something that's scary? Well, the, the answer is not to become less afraid, the answer is to become more courageous. And the answer is to say, man, I've got a responsibility to really have my act together. And so 
if you're leading an organization that has 300 people in it, uh, man, you've got to become a student of effective leadership. And you've got to be someone that courageously is accepting the responsibility that's been placed in front of you and that is just excited to learn and grow and to, to step into new territory of developing people and to honestly assess where you're weak and where you're strong and to say, I'm going to shore up my weaknesses and I'm going to double down my strengths and I'm going to get better at trusting people because that's going to be required here is that I'm going to need to err on the side of trust and I'm going to need to start delegating responsibility and we're going to make some mistakes and those mistakes are going to be bigger than the ones we've ever made before because what we're doing is bigger than what we've ever done before and that's not good or bad that just is because mistakes are the price of leading something and so yeah if you're going to proactively pursue reinvention it's going to require courage it's going to require you to courageously wade into the unknown And that can be difficult. So you're going to need courage. You're going to need humility. You're going to need stability. But then within all of that, what else do you need? You need relationships. Human connection is the horsepower of life. And so often the caliber of a leader sustainably over the long term can be measured by the quality of relationships that they have around them. And so what I've seen is that the leaders who are Um, really excelling at this level, need people within their life that do a handful of things for them. And sometimes one relationship covers multiple of these buckets. Sometimes it's one person for each bucket. Sometimes it's multiple people cover one bucket. But what I will tell you is that you got to have these buckets covered if you're going to lead within this capacity over the long term. Uh, Number one, you need people that will challenge you. Something happens whenever you become a leader of a large organization, and I've seen this happen before to leaders that I've worked with, worked for, and observed, and we've seen stories all over the news, right, that because they start to carry this persona with them and they start to become disconnected from the front lines, the people in the organization, the people who are closest to them feel ill-equipped or unable to actually stand up to them and let them know whenever they disagree with them. And it just becomes this toxic scenario in which there's an elephant in the room where people think that the leader is off and the only one that's unaware of it is the leader themselves. And so you don't want that. And so you've got to create an environment where the people who are closest to you have the ability to challenge you. And not only do they have the ability to do it because you're telling them that, they do it regularly. And I will tell you that if you don't have people who are regularly giving you negative feedback or asking you questions about your well-being or pushing back on you a little bit, it's not because none of that feedback exists. It's just because the environment and culture where they can give it to you doesn't exist. And you've got to figure that out. Something's got to change because you need people that will challenge you and think critically about where you're at. Now, what we don't want is someone that is overly entirely critical of you because that's not helpful. So you always got to wonder, are they offering this critique in my and our best interest? And if they are, then man, bring those people closer. Don't push them away. So you need people that challenge you, but then you also need people, leaders within your organization, but also outside your organization who will encourage you. 
and, and so you need someone that will affirm you. This is one of the things we talk about within our team all the time is that a lot of times the leaders that we work with crave and desire personal validation for their work. Why is that? Because they don't get it so often. If you're a leader, you spend all this time clapping for everyone else, recognizing everyone else, complimenting everyone else, saying good on you, and you don't ever actually get a pat on the back. And I'm not saying that to pity you or in a self-deprecating way or anything like that. It's just we see this all the time that no one's really paying attention to, oh, is that leader getting validated for what they're doing? And yes, you may get accolades from the outside, but from the people that know you best, you might not be getting validation or encouragement. And, And what I want you to hear is that's something you need right? You need encouragement. You need recognition. And and if you're pretending like you don't, that's actually not healthy. And so you've got to have friends, you've got to have colleagues, you've got to have coaches and mentors and, and just people in your life, relationships in your life where people are encouraging you, where people see the work that you're doing, where people go above and beyond to say when you've done a good job, because that is something that you need. And so you need people that will challenge you, but then you also need people that are encouraging you. What other relationships? relationship do you need in your life? You need models. And so here's what's really interesting is sometimes I'll sit down with a leader of this size of organization and I'll ask them, name some leaders that you know personally that lead an organization the same size as yours. And they'll sit there and they say, I, I, I don't know any. And that's a problem because recognize that as a human being, you are a wildly imitative creature. And if you can see it modeled, and if you can see someone maybe a few steps ahead of you playing something out, you can observe them and you can say, okay, what principles are they operating with? What practices are they engaging with? What are they doing that I want to do? What are they doing that I want to avoid? But if you don't have that model, then you're basically wandering through the wilderness instead of walking a well-worn path. And man, there are so many mistakes that you can be saved from if you just choose to walk the well-worn path of people that have gone this way before you. And so, yes, you can learn from the models of podcasts and books and things like that. And those are all really good. But I would tell you that if you're leading a 300-person organization, it would be really wise for you to know other people intimately that are leading a 300-person organization or more than that, ideally. So you need a model. Okay, so you need relationships that will challenge you. You need relationships that will encourage you. You need relationships that will serve as a model for you. You also need relationships that inspire you. This is something that I try to do about once a month is I try to have at least one conversation or one lunch with someone that I just leave like feeling better about life, feeling more excited and engaged and optimistic about what's possible. Because inspiration isn't everything, but inspiration is a thing. And man, I just know that I'm so much better when I'm inspired, when I'm positive, when I'm optimistic, when I have faith for a bigger and brighter future. And so I need to sit down with people whose energy is just contagious, who it just rubs off on me. And I'll tell you, if I can sit down with someone for lunch and get even 10% more energy, like that, that lunch, man, the return of that will last for a month 
right? And it will have an effect on my team. It will have an effect on our customers. It will have an effect on my closest relationships if I'm walking around more inspired. And so you've got to have some relationships that inspire you. You've got to have some people in your life that you say, when I spend time with that person, I regularly leave inspired. And if you don't have that, then that's a bucket that you need to figure out how to be filled. Because I'll tell you, if you're an executive on a leadership team of 300 people, you've got 300 people that are looking to you to inspire them. And if you want to inspire others, maybe you should start by being inspired yourself. You got to be inspired. Okay, what other relationships do you need? Well, you need relationships that develop you. And so, yes, this is kind of related to challenge and encourage, but what this really looks like is accountability. And what is accountability? It's to give account for something. And so you need people that are kind of saying, what did you do that you said you were going to do? What are you doing? And what are you going to do? And that are kind of looking at, with a 360 degree view of your leadership and saying, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Are you thinking about what's ahead for your organization, for your personal life? And so you got to have people that will develop you. Now that can take a lot of different forms. It can look like a friend. It can look like a mentor. It can look like a coach. It can look like a pastor. But do you have someone in your life that you have submitted to their ability to develop you? And that's not because they're like radically smarter than you or they're this genius that you spend time with. It's just someone that you said, I'm going to spend intentional time, maybe on a weekly basis, maybe on a monthly basis, maybe on a quarterly basis. And I'm just going to spend time with this person. I'm going to invest in the value of consistency because consistency compounds. And this is one of the things that we talked about in our coaching series is that context is just so helpful in an ongoing relationship for a leader. And so, yeah, the first meeting with this person is gonna be valuable, but man, the real value is gonna come like in the seventh meeting, right? When they know so much about your tendencies and your trends and your personality traits and how you've reacted to stuff in the past and what you think about with regard to the future and what causes you anxiety and when you've been most confident, when you've been most strong and when you're at your best in relationship and they can pull in all these threads and they can remind you of things that you are so prone to forget. You need people that will develop you. Okay, and then here's the final one that I'll tell you, Alex of three years ago wouldn't have wrote this bullet point in this outline, but it's something that I've learned is so helpful for my leadership. And it's something that I've realized the leaders that I get to work with benefit from and the ones that thrive have this in their life. You need relationships. You need people who will just be with you. And these are the people that it's like, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to talk about work. We don't have to talk about what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. We're not talking about accountability. We can just be. And here's why that's so important. The inability to be present and aware is a threat to the well-being of you and your team. And so you've got to hone and practice the ability to just be where you are. Why is that so important? Because where you are is where you are and you're not anywhere else right now. And so I have no doubt that if you're a leader of a 300 person team, you're really, really good at reflecting on the past. You're also really, really proficient at planning for the future. What I have my doubts about is, are you able to be present? And so the answer to that might be, no, that's something I'm not great at. And so, okay, how do you become good at something that you're not great at? Well, practice it. And how do you practice it? With people. And so you just get really good at just being 
Now, that's something you're not going to hear on too many business podcasts, right? You're a human being. You're not a human doing. And that doesn't mean that you can't do things. That doesn't mean that you can't hustle. It doesn't mean that you can't plan, right? I'm not one of those gurus that says you should spend five hours a day meditating. I I don't do that, right? And I can't get behind that. I don't have the patience for that, sadly. What I am saying is that, man, your organization will benefit so much from your ability to be in the present moment. And it would be so good for you and for them for you to get good at that. So what do you need to have and what does your executive team need to have to proactively pursue leadership reinvention? Stability, humility, courage, and a wide variety of relationships. Relationships that challenge you, that encourage you, that serve as a model for you, that inspire you, that develop you, and people who are just willing to be with you. Now, before we move on from this topic of reinvention, I've got three questions that you can ask yourself in order to kind of spur the reinvention process. So here's a question you can ask yourself. What is the advice I would give to a leader in my position? So often, if I'm trying to spur renewing thoughts within a leader that I'm working with, I ask them to give advice to a different leader in their position. And the reason why that's so powerful is because oftentimes when we detach ourselves from the reality and we just look at it as being something that another person is going through, we're more clearly able to see the situation and see the path forward. And so what I want you to think of is if someone came to you in the position that you're in right now with the host of problems and challenges and opportunities and struggles that you are currently facing, what is the advice that you would give to them? Because that detached advice is probably what you need to hear. And this is related to the idea that the answers are not outside of you. So often the answers are inside of you. Here's another question you can ask yourself. What could I get better at in this season that my business will benefit from in the next season? I'm going to say it again. What could I get better at in this season that my business will benefit from in the next season? That's a great question to journal your answer to. And here's one final question that I think would be really, really good for you to walk through. What are some educated guesses I have for what's around the corner? And what could I do to be a person that is prepared to lead in those realities? So I listened to a leadership talk gosh, it was a couple years ago now by Craig Rochelle that was just so powerful for me. I'll never forget the first time I listened to it was on the beach. And and Craig, who's the pastor of Life Church, he gave this talk on anticipatory leadership. And he said that he and his leaders often sit down in a room, maybe on a quarterly or I can't remember what it was, maybe every six months or every year or something like that. It's, It's not too often, but they'll sit down in a room and they'll just make hypotheses about where the market's going, where the landscape of our country is going, where people are going, where the workplace in general is going. And they'll just make some hypotheses about what could happen. And recognize this advice was actually given to me by Michael Hyde. He said, you're always playing in the realm of problems abilities. And so you're always making educated guesses. And so it's really probably pretty good not to just do that accidentally and haphazardly, but actually to do it very intentionally and to sit back on saying like, what could happen? And then within all of those possible hypothetical futures, what is the one that if we were betting, like, is probably going to happen. And then what could I do to be a person that is prepared to lead in that reality? 
And so that would probably be worth you spending some time on for your organization, for your industry, for leadership as a whole, and just to think about where's our country going? Where's our economy going? Where's my business going? Where are our people going? Where am I going within my family? What is the future going to look like? Draft some hypotheses that are always going to be hypotheses, but then out of that say like, okay, well, what are some things that I could focus on that if I were to focus on them, it would make me more prepared? Because this is something that we're going to be talking about on future episodes related to everything going on with our economic state right now. And and I'm really excited about the content that we're working on in that arena right now. But Good leaders respond to crisis, and I think that's important. Great leaders prepare for it. And what would it look like for you to step into what's coming as a leader that's prepared? Not because you're a psychic. You're not going to be able to predict the future, but because you've been thinking about it and you're not blindsided by what's around the corner that you could have at least anticipated a little bit. And so that's what I want us to focus on within executive reinvention is that just having a humble attitude and a humble posture of what got us here won't get us there. And therefore, we have to be willing to reinvent ourselves because otherwise the world will reinvent us, right? And we will be disrupted and that will either force us to be coached up or coached out of our own organization. And I would just so rather you become the leader that your organization is going to need. Okay, so now let's move on to the fourth element, which is a culture of decentralized improvement. Now, a lot of times when organizations reach this 300-person mark, they face a problem, and that's that the people who are most in touch with the changing landscape of the marketplace aren't able to affect change in the organization. So when you reach 300 people, and this can certainly occur before 300 people, but this is where it oftentimes becomes most pronounced and most detrimental. When you reach 300 people, you've got all these people who are on the front lines that are engaging with the customer, that are doing the work of the organization, that are in the trenches day to day. And we all know that the world is changing. Customer needs are changing. The marketplace is changing. The way that we do things and the way that the marketplace expects us to do things are always changing. And what happens is whenever you have a culture of centralized improvement, where the only people who are able to make changes exist at the executive boardroom of the organization, well, then you end up with all these people on the front lines who see what needs to be done, but are unable to do it. And nothing, nothing will make your organization irrelevant faster than a culture where the front lines of your organization are unable to take action in improving the organization. It will fall apart. People, first of all, won't be a part of that for very long because they'll get so freaking frustrated that they can see a better way of doing things, but they're not able to implement it because we only give the ability to make change and make decisions to these high-level leaders that just sit off in their boardroom and ride around in their fancy cars. Like, that sucks. People will not be a part of that. So, So how do we prevent that? A culture of decentralized improvement. And so let's walk through those three words. Culture, the shared values and behaviors of a team. Seth Godin says, people like us do things like this. And so this has to be something that we have to intentionally create because remember, culture is either what you create or what you tolerate. And so we need to make sure that this is something that we value. And because we value it, we talk about it. Because we value it, we teach it. Because we value it, we recognize it. Because we value it, we call it out whenever we see it happening. Because we value it, we make sure that people are equipped and empowered and able to do it. So culture, the shared values and behaviors of a team, decentralized, 
What it looks like to decentralize an organization is to push decision-making as far down the org chart as you can. And so you got to have this image of yourself as a leader that is constantly empowering and developing and pushing decision-making power into the organization because you're saying the people who are most equipped to make decisions as it relates to how we do things are the people that actually do things. And so we need to make sure we're constantly relying on the horsepower of the people in our business that represent the life and wellspring of our business to make decisions about how the business is going to get better. And so if you centralize decision-making just at the top of your organization where you and your like kind of posse of experts make decisions about what's going on in the front lines, you will become irrelevant Because if you're leading a 300-person organization, you are not going to be as in touch as you were whenever you were leading a 10-person organization. I mean, I can tell you, like, we don't lead anything that big right now. And I can tell you there are arenas where our frontline coaches are way better equipped to design and create something than I am because they're spending more time actually doing the thing than I am. And so it's really, really important for me not to make decisions that I'm so far removed from. If that's important for me, it's really important for you decentralized, and then improvement. Okay, so there's a couple of ways we could take this topic of improvement, but I, I think the one that I thought would be most helpful to explain this because it really simplifies it is that Peter Drucker said that there's two essential functions of a business and that everything else is essentially waste. And this is where Peter Drucker was just absolutely mind-blowingly brilliant because he had the ability to take the complex and make it so radically simple it's not even funny. So he said the the two functions of a business, marketing and innovation. Now, let me break this down. Marketing is how we tell people what we do and constantly getting better at how we tell people what we do. So how we solve the problem, how we meet their needs, how we could serve them and constantly getting creative about our messaging and our advertising and our way that we reach people and letting them know, hey, this is what we do and this is how it meets your needs, marketing. Now, what is innovation? Innovation is how we constantly improve the way that we solve the problem and meet the needs. So, so, the way that you did things can't be the way that you always do things. And so we've constantly got to be innovating the way that we solve the problem. So again, marketing, the way we tell people that we solve the problem, innovation, the way that we solve the problem, the way that we serve people, the way that we meet needs. Now it's in that context that if you're not constantly innovating as a business, if you're not constantly growing and improving the way that you serve the customer, the way that you meet needs, the way that you do the work that creates value within your business, again, you're going to become irrelevant. And so what we said we need to have is a culture of decentralized improvement. So we need to make sure that there's a formatted system for decision-making power that will consistently improve and innovate the way that we create value within our business. And I know we've gone over this before in this podcast, but I will tell you the way that we have started to teach people to do this, and we've seen massive success with it in organizations that are, are quite larger than 300 people, and we've seen it with organizations that literally have two people, is that one word, it's operationalize. And so what does it mean to operationalize? Four steps, and we've got a whole podcast episode on this, so we'll put the link to that in the show notes of this episode too. It's called It's Time to Operationalize Your Business, but four steps, standardize. We've got to clarify what winning looks like. 
benchmarks for what success is for the role, for the project, or for the body of work. Standardize. Document. You can't just have your expectations in your head as a team. You've got to put them on paper. And what's so cool is if you've got an organization of 300 people, you can create a format. We use Trainual for making sure that there's documentation of the standards as up-to-date as they are today that can constantly be revitalized and iterated upon by every level of the organization. But we don't get to call it a standard until it's documented, right? And so we got to put it on paper. And then just because it's documented, we just have this kind of culture and this belief in our organization that the best practice can always be made better. And then we've got to evaluate. And there's got to be a rhythmic system for evaluation. And this is what it looks like to have a cadence of accountability in your organization, where we don't just say what we want to happen whenever we get done with the job, whenever we get done with the role, or on an ongoing basis within the person that's in a role, we're constantly saying, how did we perform compared to standard? So yes, we should start with the end in mind, but we should also end with the end in mind and say, how did we do compared to what we said we were going to do? And then we come to that word improve, where everyone in our organization is saying that the marketplace is changing, customer needs are changing, customer desires are changing, our industry is changing, what we know and what we're learning is changing, we are changing, and therefore everything can always be made better. And the people who are most equipped to make change in the organization are the ones who are literally on the front lines of seeing the change occur and seeing that there's better ways to have things done. And so again, this requires you to have humility as a leader to say, man, the people honestly at the bottom of our org chart right now have the most information as it relates to the relevancy of our business. And so therefore we better be listening and we better equip and empower them with the ability to take aggressive action and make decisions in service of the customer. That's a culture of decentralized improvement. So let's just review real quick. We said that these principles and practices apply to businesses of all stages and sizes, but they uniquely apply to that leader and team of 300 or more people. And that if you are leading that team, whether it's as a manager, an executive, or the CEO of that organization, it will benefit you and the people you serve to apply extreme intentionality to these four areas communication rhythms and increasing their formality, leadership development to develop leaders that develop leaders, executive reinvention, and we said that that could actually look like disruption where you're saying the person that got us here will not get us there and so we have to change ourselves in, in order to meet the changing realities of the marketplace around us and then a culture of decentralized improvement where we're forcing decision-making power back into the organization so that the people who are closest to the needs of the customer have the ability to make change. Y'all, this is such good, challenging, revitalizing work to focus on. And and I'll tell you, and I've said this before in the previous episode, if you are a leader of a 300-person organization, just know that, like, we admire you. At Path for Growth, like, we're just such fans of yours. And in so many ways, you are one of the people that our business exists to serve. And you are an impact-driven leader. And so, therefore, man, you get to do this work of reinventing yourself to meet the needs of 300 people. And, man, think about the impact you can have where if you get 10% better and then you make people 10% better, that's going to have ramifications on a 300 
300 people, 300 families, and that's the type of thing that can change an entire community and an entire industry. And so just know that I personally and our whole team were your biggest fans, and we are absolutely rooting for you. Hey, real quick, before we go, y'all know we send written content out every Wednesday, very similar to the content that's in this podcast. It's called Worth It Wednesday. That's because I think most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time or worth your energy. So we try to send one email a week that is. We send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. You can read it in under three minutes, and we also send a video associated with it where I elaborate a little bit more on the principle. So if you want to get on that email list, you can sign up at pathforgrowth.com or at the link that's in the show notes. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.